As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman and Corey Promman here for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. I say that every time. This time I meant it. This is the third of the week, Corey. We are finally done with the 2023 NHL Draft. Third in three days. Third in three days. That's right. So hey, it's a, it's a big week for the Prospect Series here. Um, but l- let's let's dive right in here. I want to talk about one guy we maybe didn't spend as much time on uh, in the Wednesday night episode right after the draft. Easton Cowan. I think this was... Of the first round picks, the one that maybe surprised us the most. Yeah, and it surprised me the most. I mean, it was not surprising. I've seen the London Knight kids who have a big season go high before. That's not, that story is a new. Um, you know, Easton uh, kept getting better as the season went along. Uh, had a great playoff for London. Scored at a point per game rate. Played a big role right at the top of their lineup. As they went into the final, they lost to Peterborough, but you know they, they were right there, and he played a big role. He's a good skater. He's very competitive, you know. So I get the upward trajectory from Easton. Um, and then I, when I was watching, I just was like, okay, yeah, he has offense, but I don't know if he's lead offense. And he competes well, but he's you know, barely five foot eleven. So there's a, there's a pro there's a projection question. It's like, what is he ultimately? Like, who does he remind you of? You know, if the people who really, really like him will say, well, he could be Sorelli. It's like, I get it. But like, this is like when we talked about how like Andrew Cristal or Riley High can be the next brain points. Like, the, you know, they, there's a reason they went in the third round or the second round. It's, it's, there's, there's risk variables there. So I, I, that's where I had struggled a little bit with, with Cowan. But I think some would say, well, then Toronto should trade down. Um, 
I don't know if that was an option. We kind of went through this story made with Igor Chinnikov where Columbus was like, hey, we can't trade down. He's going to go. And I believed if if they had traded down, you know, whatever it was, 10 spots, 15 spots. I, th- I, I talked to enough teams out there who were high on the player, quite a few teams actually were high on the player that I that I think, and Toronto kind of knew this, that I don't think they could trade down. And, and so if they wanted the player, that's where they needed to get them. You know, like I said, I have some some skepticism based on what I've seen of the player that I think he's going to be worth that pick. But at 28, it's no different than 30. It's no different than 48. It's, it's you know, the top tier is already gone. So you just take the guy you like and, and it fits the, the traits you're looking for. Sometimes in the kind of aftermath of a pick like this, you, you kind of hear from other people around the league who maybe will go, ah, we had a similar thought on him or wow, that su- surprised me. What, what are you hearing from league people on this one? Yeah, divided. Some kind of said things that I said at the beginning. They're like, yeah, he's nice player, but you know, X, Y, and Z. What is he? Is he just going to be, is he moving more like Megan Ball in 6'4 in the NHL? And some are like, no, like that's guys, he's on the up, up and up. Like he's going to be a good player. This is going to be a kind of guy you win with. And, you know, we were, we were going to target him, you know, really early. So it's like, that's, it's, it's more divided. Like, but yeah, like you said, that happens. Like, you know, I think, you know, if, if we hadn't been covering, say, Simashev in the way we had been in the months leading up, that would have been the one where we're like, whoa, he went where? Like, he went ahead. He was, he was the first Russian picked, not Mitchkov. You know, that would have been a surprise. But, but we, I think we're at least on that one a little bit. Um, but but you're right, uh, and and then we would have made the calls around the league, and when I would have learned that plenty of teams had Simashev as their top ranked defenseman in yeah. the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy went late. I, I don't think we got to last night was David Edstrom, and this is a player who we talked about his rise coming out of the World U18s. It was a really good effort, um, and and he ends up going at 32, which you know I don't think that's a a bad spot certainly, but at, at one point it seemed like maybe he had a chance at the top 20. Why do you think he ultimately made it down to 32? I think there was just an offense question there. And he had a really good U18 World Championship. I think there were some teams that had wondered if Felix Nielsen, who went in the second round mm. to Nashville, if he had been available in that tournament, whether Edstrom would have had the kind of role he had at the February U18 Five Nations, for example. Nielsen was the first line center at that, and Edstrom was the second line center at that tournament. So I think maybe even though we saw Edstrom's great offensive production at the 18 Worlds, we would have wondered whether that was just maybe in a more of an opportunity thing than whether he actually has a lot of skill and he didn't have giant scoring numbers in the J20 league this year. Um, but I, like I said, I like the player. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be this big-time scorer in the NHL, but I think there is some offense in there. And I just saw a guy that, I mean, I'm, I think Vegas is thrilled to get him a third or two. Is that that's the kind of guy they just want to stand like cup with and they just get another guy. You know, will like with a lot of Vegas prospects, will he actually ever reach the roster? We'll find out. But... You know they they developed Nick Hague into what he is right now, and he has kind of those traits with the, with with the size and the and the and the competitiveness. Um, so I could see Edstrom being a Vegas Golden Knight sometime in the next few years. Yeah. One more thing on the first round before I, I guide us into day two here. Uh, we we talked plenty about obviously Reinbacher and, and Mitchkov and their placement yesterday, but with the 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 window uh, of time that's passed, I, I'm wondering what what did you hear from teams about what they thought of. Reinbacher at five, Mitch Kovac at five. I know this is where you had it going in. So clearly there was some buzz about this. Right. It's, it's, it's again, because I think most people in the league love Reinbacher. It's not like universal, but there was plenty of Reinbacher love. And there's plenty of Mitch Kovac love too. But I, it all came, I think it was less about Reinbacher, more about Mitch Kovac. I feel like Mitch Kovac was a binary question. You were either in or you were out for all kinds of reasons in terms of the contract, 
in terms of the geopolitical issues, in terms of the player type. Some people did have, you know, there were some teams I talked to who said, Russia stuff aside, we worry how his game's going to translate to the NHL. So there, there was a whole bunch of questions in, in Mitchkov that I guess I just think feel like it was just very binary. Was there was a whole lot of teams like, oh yeah, we had him like eight or nine kind of thing, but we would it was more like all lines like you were in or you out, and and I just felt like in obviously in Montreal's case they were out, and I don't think it's unreasonable to be out on him. Like I said, there were I think very real risk factors in Mitchkov's profile. I would have been in. Um, I've talked about why before, and um, but but I don't think. I would not criticize Montreal for not taking him. I don't. I don't think that's a reasonable take. And you know, and it's going to be kind of an interesting thing with Mitchkov because I presume Reinbacher, maybe not next season, but I'm guessing the year after he'll be in Montreal. But we're not going to get an answer to Mitchkov for four years because he's going to do he's going to do three more right. full seasons in the KHL, and then only in that fourth season after he's been drafted will he likely be in philadelphia and only then will we figure out if it's actually going to work in the nhl or not right all right let's take a quick break right there and we'll be right back and we'll talk about the second second day looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back, Corey. Time to get into to what happened on day two. Uh, and, and obviously the picks start flying really fast here. So we're going to cover a lot of ground um, or, or they covered a lot of ground. We're going to cu- try to zero in on a few of the, the key items. And the first one that stands out to me is right away on day two, we get the run on goalie. Chicago kicks it off with Adam Guyon at number 35 in short order. Arizona comes back and takes um, Michael Hrabel, who we thought may- might be the first goalie off the board. Detroit quickly, Trey Augustine. They kind of start flying quick here. They did. And I think, it happened maybe about 10 or so picks earlier than we thought. I think people thought Robble will go in the 30s, might even go day one. People, there was a lot of people who thought he might go day one. Ultimately, ultimately, he does not. He goes in the 30s to Arizona. And then people thought maybe around the mid-40s is when the next one goes, and then 50s and the 60s and 70s was when you start getting those top goalies. But when Guyon goes at 35, and then Robble goes a couple of picks later, the other teams who have a lot of draft picks, like Detroit, are looking at this and seeing how this is unfolding and being like, holy hell, well, now we got our only our third ranked goalie now on the on the table. And they did say Augustine was the guy they were targeting. Now, I don't know what that means in terms of ranking, but they said Augustine was their target and they got him where they wanted to. Okay. Take that for what you will. I will, but like, whatever. And then you have where, uh, you know, where Bjarnason went, except, right. you know, and, and Anaheim taking Clara. Who knows what order they had the guys in, but, but by guy on going at 35, 
it, I think it triggered the run on goalies maybe a little bit earlier than people thought. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I, I think when we looked at this class or when we look back on this class, it is going to be fascinating how these guys shake out because there wasn't the clear cut. There was a no. cluster and yeah. the cluster might have even been bigger than we had. And Clara, I think, is part of that cluster. There are people in the league who love Clara. You know, he's six six. He's quite athletic. Uh, it's I couldn't get there with him on my personal list. I had some concerns on the hockey sense. His season was kind of up and down in Sweden, but you want to be careful when guys switch countries and go to a you know a much different environment. How you treat guys who don't perform right away, I think that's also that's tough on him. And when he played with a national team, the Italian national team, mind you, but when he played with his with with his inter- international tournaments, he was played very well, including at the World Championships B level, where he you know, played against men and had and showed. Well, again, which is the third level, right? It's, no, it's, no, the second level. Well, okay, second. It's again. This is this is why I mean this is tough. So he played the second level World Championships, so the senior level. I see. And then I think it was the third level of the U twenties where he was the best goalie of the tournament. And then he played at the fourth level of the U eighteen World okay. Championships, where and there were scouts going to that tournament. Like there were scouts going to go watch and play against like Estonia and like the Korean seventeen year olds and stuff like that. It's wild and i don't know how much they learned from those games to be quite honest but it was a very interesting case of uh this season and i'll be curious to see how clara develops in the years to come yeah absolutely a few more names i want to get to gavin brindley goes off the board really fast he goes to columbus reunited with adam fantilli that's the fun story the line mate but this was i think your top ranked player coming out of day one Yes, and it's interesting seeing him going to Columbus. Columbus getting two players with a ton of speed and competitiveness and, and offense in them, too. I'm not sitting here thinking that Brindley's going to be on a line with Fantilli in Columbus. That's probably not realistic. They have a lot of good forward options, and we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but it's a great story, nevertheless. And I think Brindley, even though he's 5'8", uh, maybe he's 5'9", whatever. But it depends what, what day you measure him on. The yeah. essentials seem to have had inconsistent measurements on him. I, I think he has the skating and the competitiveness to play in the NHL because of that frame and because the offense isn't exceptional. It's, it's why he was available beginning of day two. Washington, I thought it was interesting. They take uh, a guy who we were very curious to see where he would end up going, Andrew Crystal. They also get Cam Allen, who I think is another intriguing player on, on, on Go, day two to goes, kind of mention. Former one defenseman, what was he, like the 30th, 5th defenseman or something like that right. in the draft? So interesting approach here. Let's start with, with, with Crystal for them. Yeah, I mean, that was, again, we had talked about him so much on this podcast over the course of the season. We kind of get finally get an answer to the question, where's Andrew going to go? He goes 40, which is right around where I always thought he was going to go. He was never a premium guy in this draft, but he was not a bad player either. He's a very talented player with very significant risks in his profile. Not too dissimilar to Bobby Brink. Bobby Brink went, what, 38? Right in that first 10 picks of the second round. And that's where Andrew goes. And the same thing with Adam Mashrin, that's right where he went. Same thing with Jonathan Dowell, and that's right around where he went. And we'll see whether this next one is the one that works. Um, But, and you know, maybe they think he's Alex Debrink or something. You know, who who knows? Sometimes these, these swings work on the guys who are super talented offensively, but have athletic risks. Or in the case of, of Crystal, it's the skating plus the average competitiveness and the size. Um, but again, you know, super talented offensively. You know, one of the, the best scorers of the WHL. Our colleague, Scott Wheeler, uh, has reasonably pointed out guys who score like he does at his age tend to almost always have NHL careers. So maybe he will have an NHL career. And I'm sure Washington will love that at 40. Washington knows WHL as well as any organization. 
Um, in turn, you know, their, their head scout, Ross Mahoney, is based out there, very welcoming in that league. You know, I'm sure they did their due diligence on Andrew and, and felt really confident in him. Uh, but when I've watched him this year, I had reservations. I just don't see a lot of guys who look like that in the NHL with the way, with this kind of, you know, this 10-2 skating stride all over the ice without explosiveness. It's, I have my concerns, but, but he's a good player and he's got a chance to be an NHL player. Any picks as, as the day went along that really grabbed your attention for one reason or another? I don't know about individual picks, but there were, you know, and when you have a lot of high picks, you're expected to do well in the yeah. draft. But, you know, there was a couple of teams that I thought had really uh, strong, uh, I guess, string of picks on day two. And I, really, I liked first what Buffalo did right at the start of their day two. I criticized them in my article on their day one. Not because I don't think Zach Benson's a really good hockey player, but I looked at their system and I was like, okay, it's Benson and Matt Savoy and Noah Osland and Yuri Kulich and J.J. Paterka and Peyton Krebs and Broker Poltopov and even, you know, a lot of small guys. And, and then the next pick is Anton Wahlberg, 6'3", center, who skates well, he plays hard. And I'm like, okay, at least I can, that's, that's, I, I like it. I like the player and I like the fit in this organization. And the next two picks are... Big defensemen who compete are physical and skate well. And Maxim Sturback, Evan McCarthy, you know, I, I think in an ideal world, Buffalo would have liked to get one on Demetrius Mishif or Tom Olander there at 13. Did not happen. You know, in a draft, they didn't have defensemen. Lo and behold, three defensemen went in the top 11. It's funny how that works out. And, but, but they get two good defensemen. And I do think it's interesting that this, the position that they are in by virtue of already having Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin is these defensemen don't need to have this like super high-end puck-moving component that for Sturback, I think in particular, wouldn't necessarily be a selling point. But because and, if neither, gonna, and or McCarthy. Right. And, and, but if you're going to pair them with one of these two really high-end offensive players, it, it, it can work just fine where they're a really good yeah. kind of number two on the, on I, the pair. I think Sturback could have a very nice career never having to make a skilled play. Yeah. Uh, the, and the other team that I thought really had a good day too uh, was Seattle. Yeah, and, you know, they, again, they had a bunch of high picks. You're supposed to do well when you have those high picks. But I, I like the combination, you know, with Edward Chalet, the big swing on the skill at 20. Then the next three picks in whatever order they were were Carson Rakoff from Kitchener, Oscar Fisk from Olegard from HV71, and Lucas Dragosevich from Tri-City. Uh, a lot of talent in those four picks combined. Uh, different degrees of skill and risk. Oscar Fisker Molgard's more of the steady all around competitive player. Dragosevich is like the, the high end offensive type who you're not really sure if you can defend in the NHL. Carson Rakoff, all the tools, not always the most consistent, kind of like with Chalet a little bit. But the combination of those four players, I think, is a very intriguing combination of, of traits. And I could see one or two of those guys being longtime NHL players. I think Dragosevich in particular is an interesting one for them because they they haven't had like the, the really high level D. They get Riker Evans, who's having a really nice start to his career. And, and I think it really shows how concerned the league was by Dragosevich's defending. Yeah. That, like you looked at his numbers and it's like top ten, yep. top fifteen pick numbers. And there he is in the fifties. Yeah, no, no doubt. But I think it, it, it's a swing worth taking for Seattle, especially at that point in the draft for for what their pipeline has looked like. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more thing before we let everybody go here. I want to turn your head. I'm sure that I'm sure you'll love this to the 2024 class. You get exactly three hours of downtime between the 2023 draft uh, and this one. But I do think you've already begun your work on the 2024 class. So I just want to kind of put some feelers out. What can people look forward to a year from now? 
Well, you know, the, that, I think that class is headlined by Macklin Celebrini. Uh, you know, Cole Eisman from the program is a great player, but, but Celebrini for me is the guy heading into next year. Uh, checks every box you want to play, the skating, the skill, the hockey sense, the competitiveness. He, he looks like a, like a true number one pick, a guy who after Bedard, you know, whether it's Carlson, whether it's Fantilli, whether it's Will Smith, he would be in that conversation with those guys. Might even be at the top of those conversations with those guys. He's a really good player. And then you get to Cole Eisenman and Ivan Demidov, another small winger from Ska. Let's go. Wait, One have, more year. Have, have we have we heard this story before with, with who is super talented offensively? And there's already this debate going on in Russia. Who's better, him or Mitchkov? That'll be a fun debate over the, over the next few years. Um, but then after those guys, I think it turns to the fact that there's some really good defensemen in next year's draft. Um, I, I think, you know, you have Artem Lefshunov in Green Bay. You have Sam Dickinson in London. You have Aaron Carey Haru in Finland. Uh, you have uh, Kari Yakemchuk in Calgary. And Charlie Ellick in Brandon, who I think form a really good group of defensemen. And this group of defensemen came up in the context of discussing say, David Reinbach or Dmitry Simashev or any of the top defense picks in this year's draft, where people would always say, well, we can always get one of them next year. Teams and, would say this. No. Or fans. Fa- fans. Yeah, okay. Teams would never say this. That they're, they're, that's crazy talk. They don't, they don't think that way. Yeah, well, because yeah. that's not how reality works. Let's say, let's, well, we'll use Montreal again. Um, let's say you are Montreal. You're picking fifth overall. Yeah. Who's, I mean, that's a tough division. Who's to say they're not picking first overall next season? Sure. Or, you know, if, if you had gone into the 2020 draft, the old, I think is going into the 2020 draft, we, that was the common thought. Like, there's so many good defensemen in this draft. And by so many good defensemen, there was like five. Yeah. And, and, and whatever, it's Owen Powers, Simon Edmondson, Luke Hughes, uh, Brian Clark, and am, I, and am I missing one? Owen Powers, Simon Edmondson, Luke Hughes, Brian Clark. That, that might was, be it. No, it was the four. So, yeah. and, and it's like, okay, well, if you're Seattle, you're not, you're not passing on Matty Beniers because he's a really he's a really good player and yeah. he's just won the Calder. So you're not always in a position to, to pick a defenseman, or you could have a really good year and all of a sudden you're not in the lottery anymore. It's, it's, it's uh, and you not, do need more than one defenseman. Of also, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you look at the Stanley Cup champion; they had six defensemen. You you would never hear a, a GM say, "Well, we picked a center last year. We don't really, you know, or, or we can wait on center. We'll we'll get a center next year, right?" Like, yeah, I mean, you're just the team you covered just picked two center two centers with top ten picks in back to back years, and yeah, I look at that draft and I can't confidently sit here and tell you any of those guys are going to be better than. Reinbacker, they might be, they might not be. If I put a gun to my head, I said I would have one of them ready to hit a Reinbacker right now. But but we'll, a lot changes in the year. You know, where would Simashev and Tom Philander have been on my preseason ranking yes. compared to Cam Allen or 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 some or some other defensemen going into this year's draft? But but exactly early on, there does seem to be at least at the outset. A more premium defenseman at the top of next year's draft in terms of the guys that really stand out. And I think what's going to be fascinating in next year's draft in terms of the defenseman front is the debate around Aaron Kivaharu because he is small. He's five foot nine and he is a good, not elite skater. And I, and, but he's like so smart, like crazy smart offensively. And I'm going to be really curious how that debate unfolds. Because we saw it with Quinn Hughes in his draft year. He goes a little bit lower than people thought, but maybe went too low. But he was an elite skater. That's not what Aaron is. So I'll be really curious a year from now where Aaron Karaharu actually does go in the draft. 
So do you think it helps him, though, that he will presumably be playing a significant portion of the season against men? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And he's probably going to be at the World Juniors. You're going to get a lot of questions answered on how he plays up levels. Yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts here, Corey, from Nashville before we let everybody go? I mean, I, I thought it was just a great, it was a great uh, week here. Uh, I didn't think this draft was uh, all that unexpected. I thought, you know, we, I think we all like to see more trades and yep. see some some action. And some uh, NHL guys moved too. I know a couple did, but not as many as maybe I would have hoped I, as a reporter. I, I, you know, I always lament our media colleagues for, for stirring the trade stuff when there's not really anything there. And they did it, and they did it again this year. But I did it too, you know, and I said, like, this seems like the year there's going to be a trade in the top 10. Mitchkov is the perfect storm. And it wasn't. I agree. And, it and did it, seem like it, though. It did seem like it, but I don't know. It and just, there was all that reporting that Montreal was entertaining, you know, offer X, Y, Z. I don't think, like, you know, Iserman, when he when he talked uh, Wednesday night, I think he said that they, they talked about trading back at both of their first-round picks, and the offers both times were really interesting. But at the end, it came back to they, they wanted to pick those two players. And I, I imagine a lot of teams had that exact same dynamic. Yeah, and I, I again, it's hard to know all the conversations. You hear about conversations that happen afterwards, but... At the end of the day, there were there were no trades, and there definitely wasn't that splashy trade to go get Mitchkov uh, that would have been fascinating to watch. Yeah, but in the end, uh, I I agree. I think it was a really great event, and and I gotta say, it was a really cool moment at, at the very end in, in the seventh round there. Tom Fitzgerald trading a pick to David Boyle to make his last pick in, in Nashville. I thought that was a really cool moment. Something I'll remember. And goes up goes up getting Aiden Fink, who I actually don't mind as a player. I was a little surprised. I wasn't shocked. I kind of heard afterwards that people teams weren't very high on which was obvious by the fact that he went there in the seventh round but but i, I like the play so maybe he'll get a couple of games from them at some point absolutely all right that's gonna do it for us today and from us from nashville so thanks for, for following us uh, all week at the nhl draft and we'll be back uh, with more for you soon